My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. I'll be with my friends to try and make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You want to know the best way to miss big opportunities every single day? It's easy. Just focus on the blather about the coming recession, nothing but the recession. I see the endless recession chatter, when it's going to come, how bad it's going to be, how long it's going to last, as a total misdirection play, one that prevents you from trying to make money in the market. And making money is supposed to be the point of this exercise. It sure is the point of the show. Hey, today, I probably heard the word recession almost as much as I heard the name Elon Musk. It's ridiculous. Even with all that negativity, the Dow only slipped 110 points. S&P declined 0.6%. NASDAQ lost 0.8%. But more important, the market was back to even a lot of the debt. Here's why I'm so sick of the recession speculation. If you had to predict which sectors of the market would be the weakest going into the extremely severe economic downturn, well, what would the first one be? The first one would be steel. That's right. Nothing more cyclical than steel. Total boom and bust industry, right? That lives and dies with the broader economy. I mean, everybody knows that, correct? Going into recession, something like Nucor, the largest steel maker in America, would be an obvious short. Yet today, Nucor reported a bang-up quarter with improved shipments and prices year that were up nicely year over year. Dangerous short. Uh, even as the analysts almost universally expected a sharp slowdown. Nucor blew away the estimates. The company's even expanding right into the teeth of the so-called recession. It's taking market shares, taking names, great guidance, too. No wonder the stock jumped 5.5% today with a positive pin action spreading the rest of the industry. If you shorted the steals, well, let me just tell you, you should have sent me a letter informing me of exactly when your funeral was. We've got Nucor CEO Leon Topalian on the show later. He'll give you more insight to what's happening at this great company. What can I say? I know the all-knowing bond markets trade like a recession is inevitable, but Nucor sure isn't. After the steelmakers, the second most dangerous group to own in a recession, oh, well, that's also obvious, too. It would be the home builders. You can only imagine how badly they'll do when the Fed raises interest rates two more times and housing gets crushed, right? But wait a second. They've already taken short rates from zero to 5%. What happened? Well, this morning, D.R. Horton reported a radically better than expected quarter, earning $2.73 per share. Well, the Wall Street was only looking for $1.93. That's on top of a monster revenue beat. Horton introduced a full-year sales forecast, $31.5 billion to $33 billion, which was more than $3 billion above the consensus estimate on the, on the low end. The stock the, jumped 5.6% today. Makes perfect sense. Now, remember, this is the country's largest home bill. You think Dare Horton's looking for a recession? No, they're looking for profits, and they're confident the Fed can't stop them. Uh, I, if I were them, I'd be confident, too. Every time the Fed raises short rates, longer-term bonds go down in yield because Wall Street gets more terrified of a recession. And, of course, that makes mortgages all that much cheaper. Let me put it another way. If we were really heading to recession, would the largest home builder in America be willing be uh, within a, a few blocks of its all-time high? And, and that's what Dr. Horton did today. A few bucks. The strength here popped up the whole cohort, including Kramer, Faze, Lenar, and Toll Brothers. Hey, this is how obvious some of these things can be. You know, just a couple weeks ago, we had Stuart Milroy. Now, he's the executive chair of Lenar. I've known him for ages. Uh, he told such a great story. But did, did anyone even listen? Nah. Today, Lenar said 52-week high. 
And what can I say? Next short target code in recession? Oh, well, hold it. Don't we always short the autos? The autos, anything car-related gets killed, right, including repairs? How about Snap-on, though, which makes tools for maintenance shops? It was the biggest gainer in the whole S&P 500 today, up nearly 8%. Has the world gone insane? No, Snap-on's just a well-run company, and the economy's in much better shape than most people assume. That's how it could report the remarkable quarter today, the one that fooled all of the recessionistas. What else? Oh, how about this is another group that you've got to sell, the Semiconductor Capital Equipment Group, because these things cost billions of dollars when you put them all together. It's incredibly cyclical. When the economy's in bad shape, their orders always fall off, always. But today, Lamb Research was the second biggest gainer in the S&P 500. Why? Because last night, Taiwan Semiconductor, one of the world's largest chip makers, called the bottom of the semis, which has been crushed by an industry-wide glut. Huge call. Took up the whole semiconductor capital equipment, including KLA, which also has been reporting great numbers the whole time. Great connection there, too. And I can go, uh, you know what I do? Let's go to this. Let's have a go rails. All aboard. I mean, aren't they supposed to be awful recession? But you know that CSX, gigantic rail, reported a terrific quarter after the close 9% revenue growth year over year. You don't want to own anything chemical-related either, Correct. I mean, that's big cyclical. But the PPG, the gigantic maker of paints and plastics, delivered an excellent set of numbers this very evening. Uh, this, by the way, is off after it already pre-announced great numbers uh, it, it, it just really not that long ago. Now, you could argue that I'm simply cherry-picking here. I've kind of, I'd come back and say, are you kidding? This happens every single day because while the economists and the commentators are convinced we're looking at a recession, the actual companies, they don't seem to buy it into it one bit. Neither are the bankers, and they'd know, right? I mean, Banco Santander's chairman, Ana Botin, says she doesn't feel that way, and I think she's outstanding. Santander's up the most of any major bank, and she, she exudes confidence for this country and the entire world, and more on that later when we speak to her, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Of course, the great thing about this market is that so many people believe that there'll be a recession, uh, that they take action too. They buy the package of good stocks. That's also excellent, right? Because those won't see any fall off in orders. Many of these defensive stocks were down hard at the opening, but then they came back. Good buying opportunity. In the end, though, there's a name for this kind of market. Ooh, it's called a bull market. And it feeds on the skepticism of those who think the asset class is whistling past the recession graveyard. Of course, there are some stocks that would be up but couldn't stay up. I mean, at one point, AMD rallied after Taiwan Semi said the chip was ending. The chip has been terrible for AMD. I'd be buying a hand over fist, along, of course, with NVIDIA. The stock was down eight bucks today. Nobody likes it all of a sudden. And yes, I have to mention Elon Musk will be the subject of tonight's No Huddle. That's our last segment on the show. He had a botched product launch and slashed his prices, crushing his gross margins. And that's how that stock dropped 17 bucks. I'll opine on that later, too. So I come out of here every night, and I have to tell you that the end of the worlders, they're everywhere, right? And they're all banking on a recession. And it really doesn't have much evidence. They... I don't think they have anything to hang their hat on after a day like today. But you must always remember that the S&P 500 is made of a host of stocks. Some uh, are ready to roar higher into a recession, while others roar because the recession might be milder than expected. And so others roar because there might not be any recession at all. House of pleasure. We have winners in all three groups today, which is not what you'd see if you're going into a severe slowdown. So here's the bottom line. Even though we saw plenty of rough patches today, when the most counterintuitive stocks rally on great numbers like this, it's a sign that the bull is snorting, not sleeping, and not about to get slain. 
regardless of what the economists tell you about the inevitability of a recession. I think you should get on board before it's obvious to everyone that we're mostly headed for a soft landing without a bad recession. If you wait until everybody else knows what I just talked about, you will most likely be too late. Let's go to Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, baby, we're from California. How are you doing, Jim? I am doing well. Chill says hi. What's up, Tyler? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, thank you. I'd like to know, what do you think of Chipotle going into earnings? Chipotle going to 2000 I think that just, you know, by the way, Chipotle's one of those places. They're automating a lot of things. They've got some new, uh, they've got some great new dishes. Bring back the brisket. It's $1,700, and I like the stock to go a great deal. Let's go. Uh, Oh, my. Let's go to Georgie in Pennsylvania. Georgie. Hi, Jim. I've been a club member since inception and have learned so much from you. Oh, my thank you. Is, my question is this. I bought Humana when initially recommended. What is happening to have caused it to drastically drop yesterday and again a bit today? Is okay, it due to it, the it, no, you're right. Look, uh, Humana got recommended tonight by Kenneth Fitzgerald. The group went down when UNH reported a very good number. But I have to tell you, what, that's a Dow stock, good number, and the stock sold off. This is the pattern of these companies. They go all the way up, and we nailed this one, but good for the club. And then they trade down, then they go all the way up again. So I think that Humana is a great buy, and that's why we're sticking with it. And I thank you for joining the club. And don't forget to listen to the home stretch. A little bit after two every day where Jeff Marks and I do get out exactly about things like Humana. The naysayers of this market keep calling for recession. But where is it already? I say when the market goes down. Oh, man, tonight, surging after earnings. Can investors continue to expect gains as strong as steel from Nucor? I'm checking with the CEO. Then we're continuing our series on rare 2021 IPO winners and taking a closer look at five industrial players that have moved higher since the public debut. And Santander has a finger on its pulse of Europe and also the whole world. I'm learning more about what the Spanish bank is seeing with the company's top brands. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Cramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I admit, I love to say I told you so. I've been recommending the stock at Nucor, the best steel maker in America. Even though, yeah, the hedge fund playbook says you're not supposed to own the steels when the Fed's raised interest rates so rapidly. Instead, you're supposed to short them. But I think it's more complicated than that. This is not a normal slowdown. And we have so much federal infrastructure spending on the way, and Nucor happens to be an unbelievably great company. Sure enough, when the company reported this morning, it delivered a big earnings beat, much better than the numbers they pre-announced over a month ago. Although that's mostly some one-time items, but it's for real. More importantly, Nucor guided for some great numbers in the current quarter, and management had some extremely encouraging things to say about the full year. No wonder the stock jumped 8 Dollars or more than 5% today, one of the biggest gainers the SP 500. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, what if it goes even higher? So more people recognize the reality of the situation. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Leon Topalian. He is the chairman and CEO of Newcourt. He got a better read on the quarter. Leon, welcome back to the show. 
Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me today. All right. This is a remarkable quarter, and it flies in the face of everything we hear about. Uh, is it just possible that Nucor is that good, or are things also not as bad as we think? Again, Jim, I would tell you we got the best manufacturing army assembled anywhere in the world. We're coming off a great quarter, a historic year in 2022, and ultimately what delivers in the industrial sector for our shareholders and our customers. It's the 31,000 team members that make up the Nucor family and how you take care of them and the value that we hold in having now on the fifth safest year in the history of our company. And a couple of weeks ago, Jim, I got to, in profit sharing, sign the check returning back nearly $1 billion of earnings to the 31,000 team members that make up our family. And so again, it is them that delivers every result that we get. Couldn't be more proud of how they're executing on our mission to grow the core, expand beyond, and live our culture. Well, we are thrilled for your team members, but we also have to say shareholders, 200th consecutive dividend, 50 years of dividend increases for a steel company? Absolutely. Again, Jim, I, uh, I'm part of a legacy of an incredible company that um, has been disciplined, has been um, careful and been diligent, understands the cyclicality of our nature. And at the same time, over the last three years, Jim, we have returned nearly $9 billion back to our shareholders in either, either dividends or share repurchases. And that's going to continue uh, well into the future. There are some things coming out uh, from the federal government. We met with Secretary Raimondo uh, last week for the Commerce Secretary. She talked about the CHIPS Act. I, I have to tell you, I think it might be the biggest building program that this country's had since the 30s. They need a lot of steel to build these buildings, don't they? Oh, Jim, absolutely. Between the infrastructure, the IRA, and the CHIPS Act, you're talking about 8 million tons of steel per annum for the next decade. That's 7 or 8% of the entire steel consumed in this nation. But as you mentioned, the CHIPS Act, today there are 34 semiconductor plants proposed on the books to be built for $375 billion worth of projects that are steel intensive. And not only are we going to help build them because our customers are demanding cleaner steels and the diversification Nucor can bring, but Jim, when they're built, they're supplying our customers in the Tier 1 automotive, in the HVAC, and the heavy equipment. So it's the full life cycle, and that's why I truly believe Nucor's future has never been brighter, and we will continue to grow this company. We had the CEO of the largest warehouse company on Mad Money last night, Hami Mogadon, and he told me that it's 98% occupancy, and those who think that the warehouse industry, particularly with the e-commerce industry, is dying are quite wrong. It's the best of times. You're in there. You made the decision in a gutsy time to be in there. How's it working? Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. I mean, our, our downstream businesses consume about 20% of our overall steel demand, but in that expand beyond piece of our strategy and warehousing, overhead doors, racking, uh, the, the towers and structures, that is returning great value, and that's only going to continue. We're coming off historic highs, but Jim, that warehouse, data storage, battery storage plant, that's a $100 billion segment that, again, Nucor is the most diversified steelmaker in the nation uh, that, that's poised to capitalize on all of that. Now, it does help that our both uh, Republicans and Democrats realize that this is an industry worth preserving. I know that other countries would have come in and gladly undercut you with some lousy, cheap steel. Those days seem to be over. Both parties agree that Nucor should be allowed to compete. Absolutely. And you called out Secretary Raimondo. Her and Catherine Tyre, USTR, Greta Paisha, the general counsel for the 
They understand our industry. And Jim, but we're going to continue to advocate in a world of oversupply. We've got to continue that the uh, the manipulation and the, uh, the 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 continued games that get played of steels making it into this country or into our southern and northern borders that eventually make it in here are kept out. We've got to continue to be vigilant, and uh, it's a never-ending battle. When we talk endlessly about a recession on the network and about the collapse and fear of non-residential construction, I always think of you because you are trying to profit no matter what. Is that just the way we all can do it if we just understood your optimism and your team? Yeah, look, absolutely. And this is a short answer. But, you know, as we think about the life cycle of Nucor and where we're investing, we're we're investing in non-cyclical companies that provide a better return metrics that are creating higher highs and higher lows. Jim, we're two-thirds of the way through a $14 billion capital campaign that is going to double Nucor's earnings from our pre-pandemic level in the next three years. Think about that. We're going to double the size of Nucor in about five years' time. So the the growth, the future is very bright. And again, in a world where it's changing quickly and rapidly and the solutions we're providing and a customer base that's demanding cleaner, lower embodied carbon steels, we're already there. We're already providing those today. Well, your optimism uh, is only uh, trumped by how great your numbers are and what you do for your team. I want to thank Leon Topalian, the chair, president and CEO of Nucor. A remarkable quarter, a remarkable team. Thank you, sir, for coming back on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you having me again. We'll be back after the break. Coming up, an industrial-sized edition of our IPO Survivor Series. Which companies took to the street and liked what they found? Find out next. Even the worst group of stocks out here can have some tremendous winners including that miserable IPO class of 2021. And that's what I've been thinking about ever since Prometheus Bioscience, which came public in that dreaded vintage of 2021, got a monster takeover bid from Burke with a 75% premium. So all week, I've been combing through the few dozen winners among the 383 stocks that came public two years ago, most of which are horrendous. And I'm only looking at the ones that are still trading today as opposed to the ones that completely blew up. Now, we've been taking the sector by sector, and tonight we're looking at a group that is really forlorn, the industrials. There were 24 of these deals in 2021, uh, and of those, oh, only five stocks are up from where they came public. While the industrials in general have held up surprisingly well, as I said at the top of the show, this is not normally a group people want to buy when they're worried about a recession. So those five winners must be really, really special to be able to get on this list and give us some good return. Why don't we start with one? And like I said, I, I, these are this is kind of what we call a reveal in the business. Let's start with Bowman. Yeah, yeah, like you know Bowman. Bowman Consulting Group. This is up 109% from where it came public in May of 2021. Even after this move, Bowman is a tiny $398 million company that only is followed by two analysts. So, therefore, it has to be considered inherently speculative. But wait, when you look into what these guys do, it is a very intriguing story. Bowman provides professional engineering services. Think civil engineering, environmental assessments, land planning, and surveying for both public and private sector clients. Kind of like a mini Jacobs. These are all things you need to do at the beginning of major projects, which makes me wonder if they'll see a ton of business from all that federal infrastructure spending that should be hitting soon. 
That certainly seems to be what's driving the action here. Bowman stock did next to nothing for its first year and a half of trading, but began to rally hard last November. Yeah, that's when the legislation started kicking in. On the most recent conference call last month, management boasted of strong new order volume and 46% backlog growth last year. They specifically said by the end of last year, we started to see tangible momentum from the 2021 infrastructure bill as it relates to transportation spending throughout the country. Well, there it goes. Bowman's been winning big contracts, too. Pennsylvania Turnpike Authority, they got a ton of money. Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, along with several state departments of, of transportation, all directly related to the federal infrastructure bill. Their last two quarters were fantastic. Now, you have to understand that when you got the money, the states are the ones that allocate it. Those states are ahead of the game. There's so many others that are about to come. My one concern here is that we may be late to the party. Now, Bowman's selling for 37 times this year's earnings estimates. But then again, the growth here is tremendous. The stock trades at just 22 times next year's numbers, and I think those estimates are going to prove to be too low. Again, the company is tiny, so you should only buy it with money that you're willing to lose. But that said, I think Bowman Consulting's worth speculating on. Ideally, buy it on one of those classic downdrafts that the market keeps giving you that I talk about all the time. Next up, Cadre Holdings, with a stock that's rallied 68% from the IPO price. These guys make safety and survivability products for first responders, federal agencies, and the outdoor market. Uh, things like tactical gear, armor, and more mundane stuff, uh, gloves, utility belts, holsters. A well-equipped Cadre chairman, Mao, would be proud of. Now, the tricky thing here is that that was a joke. The thing you hear is, is that Cadre's earnings are expected to explode this year. Uh, but they do have a habit of missing the numbers. In fact, they've missed the earnings expectations for several quarters in a row. While the stock appears to be reasonably priced at 27 times this year's earnings estimates, it ends up looking real expensive. Uh, in the future if management keeps failing to deliver on its numbers. It doesn't help that Cadre filed to sell 3 million shares for existing shareholders just yesterday, which is not a small considering that there are only 37 million shares outstanding. And the float is less than half of that. Even without that offering, though, I couldn't possibly recommend Cadre until it stops missing the darn numbers. I'm putting it in the penalty box. All right, how about the third best? This one's getting interesting, but not for me. And that's Zim Integrated Shipping, which is still up 42% from its offer price, although the stock has plummeted from $91, and a lot of you called in when it was up there, and to, in the 80s, and the 70s, and the 60s. Now it's all the way back to just 20 and ch- It was over a year ago, it's 20 and change. It's all the way back. I mean, it, it's just not fathomable what's happened here. Why has this thing been such a disaster for the last 12 months? Okay, Zim is a container shipping play. They claim to have a differentiated strategy that sets them apart from the competition. With their fleet management driven by AI, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's a tough business. You never want to own the container place when the global economy's slowing and, more importantly, shipping rates are plummeting. After making a fortune in 2021 and 2022, we were in short supply of just about everything. Zim's now expected to lose money for at least the next three years. Hard pass. Oh, but here's one that's very interesting. I like driven brands. Well, what is this one? Number four, it's the largest automotive services company in North America with 4,800 locations across 15 countries. Bet you have a lot of snap-on equipment. Uh, they, they do paint jobs, collision repair, glass repair, maintenance, and car washes. Basically, driven brands is a roll-up of different types of auto mechanics operating under several different brands. That There's a reason this one is up nicely from the IPO price in 2021. We live in a world where both new and used cars are incredibly unaffordable because there's simply not enough supply when you can't replace your 
car. What do you do? Well, you have to spend more money making sure the current one is drivable, particularly, by the way, after warranty. Interesting. Sure enough, Driven Brands has been putting up some amazing numbers, including 11.4% same-source sales growth in the most recent quarter. You heard that, 114 higher than anybody in the auto industry that I know. While they give you an excellent full-year sales forecast after earnings guidance came in a little light. I think management is simply practicing UPOD here. You know what UPOD is. It's under-promise and over-deliver. If I'm right and they can beat the numbers, then Driven Brands has more upside. Like Bowman and Cadre, I had never even heard of these guys until we did this, this series. Hey, Glenn, I think it's real eye-opener. Finally, there's one, and you've called on this one. It doesn't sound like anything what it really is. It's called Core and Main. Sounds like kind of an insurance company meets an interesting restaurant company, but it isn't. It's a distributor of products for handling water, wastewater, storm drainage, and fire protection, along with providing related services. They sell to municipalities, private water companies, and professional contractors through a network of 320 branches across 48 states. Truth be told, Quartermain's had a mostly unremarkable overall performance since coming public at $20 in July of 2021. The stock made it to the low 30s by the end of 2021, never got higher than that. By late last summer, it had sunk to the high teens. Since the bottom last fall, however, it has a nice move, rallying to $25 and change. Interesting. A big chunk of that recent gain has come during the past few weeks because the company reported a very strong quarter with a fantastic full-year forecast. Just like Bowman Consulting, they're picking up new business thanks to the federal infrastructure structure bill. Oh, best of all, quarter main sales were just 13 times this year's earnings estimates. I think it can beat the numbers, and I like the stock very much. Here's the bottom line. Of the 50 names from the IPO class of 2021 that are still above their offer price, only five are industrials. And I think only three of those are worth recommending. Bowman Consulting, bye, bye, bye. Driven Brands, bye, bye, bye. and Core and Main. Contract needs to be more consistent before I get on board. And despite the regular questions that I get about Zim integrated shipping, this is the wrong point in the business cycle to own a container ship. Let's go to Ron in Florida. Ron. Ron. A sunshine state to you. Thanks for oh, all your work. I love the sunshine state. My wife was down there for a couple months. I visited twice in the last, this year. I love it there. What's happening? Yeah, we're fans of Mickey Mouse here. Uh, I like to cost average ever since I went all cash back in the COVID days. Okay. And working for me. I all recently right. found Agco, and I loved their, their robotic. They don't need as many... Farm workers, and I thought it was a great, just a great idea. I looked up the company, and I bought my first piece. I want a cost average. It's now down 5% from where I got it, and I'm wondering if I should add to it at this I want to be, I know you're too tight a scale. It's called too tight a scale. We teach this in the CNBC Investing Club constantly. You need to wait till it goes down 10%. 5% doesn't help your basis enough. Use a 10% spread and then pull the trigger and buy some. And then I'd be much more comfortable because I, you need to know, I think Agco's great, but you don't need to buy it what we call too tight. Jeff, Jeff Marks and I talk about that constantly. All right, there aren't a lot of winners from the industrial IPOs 2021, but we were still able to find some pretty darn compelling stories that I think you should take a look at going forward. Much more mad money, including my exclusive with Santander. Hey, how is the Spanish bank uh, prepped for a higher rate environment? Uh, and by the way, it's trying to dominate the world and succeeding. So we're going to talk to the company's executive chair. Then from a SpaceX explosion to Tesla's post-earnings decline, okay, tough day for Elon Musk. But tonight, I am coming to his defense. You don't want to miss it. Anoya calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
Okay, it's true. Europe's a mess right now, but there is one European stock that I'm willing to endorse, and that's Banco Santander. That's the gigantic Spanish bank with a huge global presence, probably one of the greatest franchises on earth. In addition to having more than 3% dividend yield, incredible generous buyback, this is a bank that's retired 5% of its share count over the past couple of years, and they plan to retire even more money to shareholders going forward. Plus, the most recent quarter, excellent. I think it's the strongest bank in Europe, but actually it's much more far-flung than the continent. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to speak with Anna Botin. She's the executive chairwoman of Banco Santander. Take a look. Anna, most people don't know the powerhouse that is your bank, but you are the top of the heap in terms of performance here for stocks. Yeah, it's great to be here, Jim. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yeah, this year we've had a pretty good run. Uh, since Investor Day, the market has really... Uh, taking the, the price up. They liked our plans, so we're up almost 30% this year. But, you know, we're doing well. We gave very ambitious guidance right. for the next three years. But people should know, 160 million customers going to 200 million in 20, 2025, that's remarkable. Again, maybe largest when, you're, when you get there. Well, what we basically... Uh, communicated as a new phase of shareholder value creation. We, we added 40 million customers the last eight years, and we've said 40 million more the next three years. Incredible. And double-digit TNAV and dividend per share growth we through were looking, the cycle. I'm sorry, we were looking at credit card numbers. We see you as number one now with 97 million people worldwide, hmm. just past city, rather hmm. remarkable. Yes, uh, we measure active customers, and active customers have a very high correlation with cards and payments, and we have 99 million card customers. Incredible. Now, yeah. I'm thinking that the reason why that is, besides the fact of how outstanding a banker you are, is simple, fair, and personal. Tell us about that. Sure. Yeah, if I may correct you, it's simple, personal, and fair. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's the order. <laughs> That is really, really important. And we think about, uh, we do really well in personal and fair. We are aiming to do much better in simple. Our big thing for the next few years is simplification because that should drive much better customer experience. We want that when you operate with us, you have an amazing experience. So we have to be more simple. So if I want to buy a car anywhere, who do I end up most likely being financed by? Well, in the US, we are top five auto lender. Uh, in Europe, we're number one. In, in Latin America, we're number one. So, yeah, that is a, a big business for us, and uh, it's a business that we've been doing for many years. Okay, because you are uh, so large all over the world, because I've told over and over again, <laughs> clearly the, the most stable, strongest bank in Europe, where do you see great growth in the world? Where are you concerned? What makes us different is exactly what you said. We have not just global, but in market scale. And this combination is very powerful. Um, and so, you know, the growth uh, very much also depends on the context. So this year, the growth is actually going to come in profits from Europe. But medium, Amazing. yeah. Amazing. But medium term growth in terms of sustainable growth and increased profitability, for me, it's the U.S. You know, I made a big bet when I took over that the U.S. was a good market for Santander, for Santander shareholders. And uh, the last few years, uh, that's, that's been the case. I wonder whether, uh, and just to touch on Europe for a second, mm. uh, your share has mm. been remarkable. You've gained a great deal. Others have fallen back. Uh, but is Spain the strongest state in, in the, in, in the, on the continent? 
Well, Spain has made a remarkable uh, journey over the last 50 years since uh, we have democracy. The, the average Spaniard is living much, much better. We've converged in GDP per capita. But we're not just in Spain. We're in auto lending, you just mentioned. We're in the Nordics, in Germany, we're in the UK. So, you know, we are pretty uh, uh, diversified. And this is one of the attributes of the Santander model, diversification. Top three profitable in nine out of 10 markets. Hmm. These are, this is an incredible, you're an incredible barometer of those markets. Hmm. Why are you in some, why are you in these, and are they all growing? Well, we decided a long time ago that we'd rather be in fewer markets and have scale, Smart. which goes back to, you know, what makes us different is this combination of in-market scale and global scale. So you mentioned, you know, active uh, customers and, and cards, where we're the, one of the biggest in the world. But if you combine that with the in-market scale, that is a very unique combination. That provides network effects. That's a magic number. Right. Uh, word. I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, as you know, and... <laughs> People in Philadelphia know you as the bank that's affiliated with the Philadelphia Eagles. Is that just something you decided that it's important? I know you are a sports fan, but it changed the, the uh, perspective of what your bank is by making it so that when you are at the our Lincoln Financial, it's you that whose name we see. Local strategy? Because we're a global bank, but we're also a community bank. And so we want to be part of the communities and do what's important for those communities. I mean, we also sponsor the local football team in Cantabria, Santander, where I'm from. So we really try to be very embedded in the communities. And in Philadelphia, it's the Eagles. But also, I mean, you're also known as someone who is a great golfer and, and at the Masters. I mean, you have, you have done many things that Americans regard as being uh, crown jewel. You've gotten to do that, but you're uh, you live in Spain. These are things that you just. I mean, if you were in Chile, if you're in Mexico, are you meeting with the heads of state? Are you part imparting grain into all these places? Well, when I meet with them, we, we just meet in an office. We, but you we, do meet them. We do meet. Yes. Well, I mean, I was just in Latin America, and you know, I met with the president of Chile and president of Mexico. It's in my Instagram, so you can see it there. But that's part of my job. <laughs> You know, we work with all governments in all the countries where we operate, and that's that's what we do. A lot of people feel that uh, Mexico may or may not be, some people even call it a failed state. Yeah. Mexico, you described in your meeting as fabulously profitable. What's going on there? Well, you know, uh, first, Mexico, Brazil also. I always say that the lows are always higher. So these are countries that have a larger middle class every year. They've made a lot of progress. Uh, Mexico, in terms of the public finances, they have one of the best, you know, fiscal uh, balances of any country in the world. So inflation uh, for them is a priority. There's been a lot of growth. There's full employment in Mexico, not just in the U.S. So the country is making very good progress. Uh, when I first got in the business, Citigroup was the worldwide company. That's who you went to. They dominated worldwide, we thought. Uh, do you think it's, I'm being too aggressive by saying that you are now the worldwide bank? Well, in a sense, yes, but very different from City and others. I mean, we decided to be in fewer markets, but have scale. So I know I've said it twice already, but right. we'd rather be larger in Mexico, Brazil, the US, UK, and not be, we're not in Asia, we're not in Africa. We can service our customers in these markets through others, but really we are in Europe and the Americas. 
And your perspective on the world now, we see a lot of gloom here. Is there reason to think even say that America is, is very strong in your, in your position? So, I, you know, the world has lots of issues, if you think about it. We have a war in Europe, terrible humanitarian disaster. We have inflation. We have climate change. Uh, so I do think, uh, and the IMF just said, the world is going to grow one percentage point less than it's grown the last 20 years. The Why biggest problem in the, we ha all have is growth. Right. How do we get back to growth, sustainable growth? I, I like that organization you just quoted, but I want to know what, what Anna Botin <laughs> thinks is going to be the growth. I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't see a recession this year. Good, good. Uh, I don't. Uh, if you look at the numbers, and I'm always looking at the numbers, know. Uh, you know, uh, Americans on average, on the aggregate, because there are people that are suffering, but on the aggregate have more than $3 trillion in household liquid assets. Uh, you know, salaries, uh, nominal salaries are up 9%. You know, debt uh, is up 8%. So the, on, on the aggregate, the U.S. consumer is still very strong. And so that will end at some point, yes, but I don't see that in the next few months. Excellent. It's a good way to end things. Anna Botin, Banco Santander, Executive Chair. Thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time to start the light round. What is that? That's Pop Round for Gold Point. Same name as I said. Bye bye bye. You're playing the sound. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the light round. I'm going to start with Ken in Maryland. Ken. Hey, Kramer, glad to talk to you. Same, same. I've been, been following you since the mid-70s or mid-90s when you were guest speaker on CNBC. And more than once, you promoted stocks that I was about to present to my investment club. And I had to not buy it because you had run up by the time I got to the club meeting. I love that. So hopefully, investment club. That's why I'm a club member now. So hopefully I find a stock that's under your radar and you can give me a buy signal. The company has a 5% dividend. It has a moat that Peter Rich has taught both you and I that we want to look for. Its company is called Copti, and it's simple as OFC. You know, um, I'm worried about that segment. Uh, segment. First of all, you're doing homework and it's terrific. But I am worried about that particular commercial real estate segment. Suburban's better than city in a lot of ways from work from home, but I still can't be in it. But I do thank you for the call, and I hope your team does well. Let's go to Larry in North Carolina. Larry. Yeah, hi, hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How are you, Larry? Okay. Uh, Bill, Jim, I'm calling because I am uh, interested in your perception of uh, iRobot as an investment. Well, that is an arbitrage situation because Amazon wants it, so I'm going to stay away from it. Can't opine on those. I'm not an arbitrageur. Can I go to Sam in Connecticut? Sam. <laughs> Booyah, Mr. Sam. Booyah, Sam. Thank What's going on? my call. Okay, what's going, What's happening? Uh, I just would like to ask your opinion about the Unity Group company. If this Unity company Group. is big, yeah, Unity Group, three dollars stock. Stocks don't get to be three dollars because they're going up. Um, I, I find this one a tough sell, uh, and I, I don't know, eighteen percent yield. I just think we got to take. We're going to take a pass on that one. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm thrilled to. I dox in the house. How do I help? 
Uh, semiconductor stock, some insider buying. The Bollinger Bands are really starting to tighten up on this one. The ticker's NVTS, Nabotosh. Should I buy uh, no. some? Um, it is going to be profitable in the next 12 months, so I am going to bless the name because I happen to like the group so much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a tough day for Elon Musk. What's his immediate fortune mean for home gamers? Stick with Kramer. Look, it's a real bad day for Elon Musk. He's down more than $7 billion on Tesla. He had a rapid, unscheduled disassembly, a.k.a. an explosion, or let's just call it an unconscious uncoupling of his starship, his SpaceX Gigantor. I don't know if anything happened to Twitter, but I can't imagine it was a banner day there either. So you know what? I think it's the perfect moment to stick my neck out and come to Musk's defense. For a long time, I've been a huge fan of something called The Men Who Built America. It's terrific History Channel production. It's now over a decade old. I'm constantly reading about the guys who built the railroads and the steel mills or the oil company. I say company, not companies, because back in Rockefeller's heyday, there was only one. I even like that old American rascal Jay Gould, instrumental in building so much of our infrastructure. Of course, that means I appreciate Thomas Edison and even Commodore Vanderbilt, despite his suboptimal political foibles. They weren't always great people. There's a reason you hear them described as robber barons, but they were all imaginative, bold titans of industry. And at this point, I honestly think Elon Musk belongs in that pantheon. Yes, he is that good, even on his worst day in ages. First of all, Wall Street hated Tesla's earnings report. It showed that Musk can cut prices to where the conventional auto companies can barely catch up. And the smaller startups might go under. Yes, his margins are bad, but I think that's a conscious choice. Musk may be taking a page from Henry Ford, who disrupted the entire auto industry with the Model A and then the low-priced Model T, dashing his hopes of his competitors. Just like Musk, Ford had a technological edge that his rivals couldn't match. And by the way, you can appreciate what Henry Ford did as an industrialist without endorsing his extremist religious or political views. Next, as far as Musk's starship explosion goes, here's my rap. This is a man who's not afraid to make mistakes. He'll naturally course correct and get this rocket to the point where it works, just like he's done every other time SpaceX blew something up. Musk can afford to take more risks with his rockets because they're all unmanned, and that's a good thing. I think his solar business will break out once it's ready. And when it comes to Twitter, I don't know if his paid blue checks are the right way to go, but he's got to do something about the problematic cast of characters who populate his platform. And I say that as one of the 10, yep, 10 most hated people on Twitter. No badge of honor, just the facts. Now, I met Elon Musk only once, a long time ago, at a very exciting dinner at Mark Benioff's house. Mark's the CEO of Salesforce, which we own for the Charitable Trust. He hosts these fabulous soirees where you typically have to go around the table and tell us something we don't know. I was sitting opposite Musk, and when they got to him, he said he expects that in a few years, there'll be a giant solar field in northwest Colorado that will provide all of the electricity for the United States. All of it. Ooh, there were a lot of oohs and ahs. But I wasn't a fanboy. I went on the attack. I said it was absurd. And that there was no just, no way for the infrastructure to roll over like that. Fossil fuels are in place. The incumbents can't be dislodged that quickly. I was, let's say, adamant that he'd be wrong. He stopped. He pondered. He stared at me. And he said, there's a 50% chance that you are a hologram just by imagination. Oh, I had no comeback. 
Unfortunately, the former CEO of Intel chimed in. He's a mathematician. He felt there was only a 27% chance that I, that I was a hologram. And that was something that instantly broke the tension in the room. Although Musk didn't smile and he didn't laugh. I've often thought about that dinner because I believe one day the huge Colorado solar field will actually happen, but only if Elon decides to make it happen. As much as he ridiculed me, I recognize that he is a man of innovation and persistence and perseverance. I think the next rocket will be money good, and I think Tesla's a buy. What can I say? Musk's the best there is. Highest compliment I can give. Is he controversial? Sure. But you could have said that about the same thing about every other great industrialist in history. Is he going to win every single day? Oh, not of no way. Of course not. Over the long haul, though, I'd much rather bet on Musk than on his detractors. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer.